This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. The more I look at what is going on concerning churches and all of these pastors who are beginning to stand up and say, we are not going to keep our churches closed anymore. The more I am impressed, as I always have been, but with a stronger, stronger sense of it, the more I'm impressed with the local pastor. You know why? I'm impressed with the local pastor for a lot of reasons, but during this pandemic shutdown, Over and over and over again, it has been largely unknown pastors who have stood up for their sheep and their religious freedom. It has been unknown churches that have been willing to get Christian law firms to defend them in court in order to reopen their churches in the same way that other sorts of venues in their towns and cities are able to open and have the social distancing and have the sanitizer and have the masks in place. All they want is to exercise their First Amendment rights to gather together as Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tell us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, I think it bears repeating at the very beginning of this, we all, I think we're pretty much on the same page. If all of these models are correct, there could be millions of deaths. Let's voluntarily cease in-person worship for a short time. And then let's get back to church. And now you have all these people saying, let's get back to church. Let's get back to church. Let's get back to church. They're right. We should get back to church. If you can go to Walmart and push a cart around, you can go to your local church and you can worship the Lord, you know? And and if you can't, maybe at this point, you need to ask yourself, why don't I want to go back? And I guess that's another issue here. But this is the latest here. There is a new lawsuit in Raleigh, North Carolina that has been filed by a group that says they want to have worship services inside, but the executive order issued by Governor Roy Cooper is preventing that from happening. This is from WBTV. The leaders here say that Governor Roy Cooper's COVID-19 executive order violates their constitutional rights as part of phase one of the state's reopening. Gatherings of more than 10 people are not allowed. That also includes indoor worship services. And the group has now argued that it's wrong for the governor to allow stores to reopen at 50 percent capacity, which I guess is coming in stage two, but not allow houses of worship to do the same. This is important. And even the local sheriff in Johnston County, Steve Bazell, put out a statement pushing back against the executive order. Who He actually said he would lay down his badge and go home before he would stop the citizens of the county from assembling for an indoor church service. This is a lawsuit here that has been filed by the Christian Law Association. So I'm glad to see this again and again. I've been telling you about all these different pastors who've been standing up and saying, we want to go back to church. And we think some of you local tyrants are out of control. Now, I want to play a little bit from this press conference yesterday that occurred in Raleigh to rally against Governor Cooper's stay-at-home order. And I wanted to particularly highlight this prayer because I really like this prayer. I really like this prayer. This is from Tim Rabin, who's the pastor of Beacon Baptist Church. Listen to cut one. Our Father, 
we're calling on you, the God of creation, the God who's in control, the God who brought our country into freedom. And we are thankful today for the freedom we have as Americans. But many of us in this, in this crowd today can testify the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. And today we're grateful for the shed blood of your son that purchased our salvation, that allows us today to come into your presence boldly in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we come today, we come asking your blessings on our state. We love the state of North Carolina because of the people. We're grateful for our churches because of the people. And today we want to meet together inside of our buildings. And Lord, we're asking you to move on Governor Cooper's heart. You said the heart of the king's in your hand, so surely today the heart of the governor is in your hand. I love that. And he goes on, too. I want you to listen to this part also. This is cut, too. And I pray today that you will exercise his heart, Lord, through whatever means you would take to bring back the opportunity to gather safely inside of our buildings. Lord, we don't want to put anybody at risk, but Lord, we want to gather as you have commanded us to assemble for the preaching of the scriptures, for the worship of your name, for the lifting up of the cross to a world that needs to know Jesus. Lord, we're grateful that salvation is for whosoever will. And so today we pray that once again, we'll be able to open our doors to whosoever will. We ask all of this in the precious and the mighty name and the lovely name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Don't you love that passion? That is a man who wants to get back to church again. That is a man who obviously loves the church. And I love hearing that. I love hearing that man's heart and the degree to which he is passionate about bringing the people of God back together again. We are one body with many members and we need to be together. And at some point we have to say, we're not going to sit it out for the next 18 months because there's a microbe somewhere. I'm not saying that there's not a danger from coronavirus. I'm certainly not saying that. But we can be safe. We can socially distance. And when we see what the death rate is, around 1%, it's very hard to treat this like the bubonic plague. So we know all these issues. I talk about these all the time. However, Good old Dr. Russell Moore over at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention is out with what I think is perfectly predictable. When will your church be back to normal? His latest article asks. And basically, he's saying, isn't it great how how we've been home and, and churches have been creative in doing things online? Hang on a second. You're the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. There has been... Boy, how many so far? There have been so many gatherings and so many efforts now by individual churches and churches coming together in in greater numbers, like in California, as I talked with Pastor Jim Franklin earlier this week, trying to say, open up our churches. And he's saying, isn't it great that we're closed down? Because we can be so creative. This is what he says. He says, despite the caricatures, the vast majority of American Christians have not only complied with health and civic recommendations, but has been out in front of such recommendations. Have some Christians interviewed on television suggested that the blood of Christ would keep them from being infected? Yes. Have some declared they could blow the virus away? Yes. Have some shared bizarre conspiracy theories on Facebook? Of course. But that's a tiny sliver of America. 
American Christian life. The real story is how churches and Christians have not only served their neighbors by ceasing gathering for a time, but the way they have shown remarkable creativity in doing so. Do you like how he did that? He slammed various extreme examples of people who have wanted to get back to church, perhaps at the very beginning and with some, you know, recklessness a little bit. He acts as if there's nobody in between. People posting bizarre conspiracy theories on Facebook. What is it with this crowd and the conspiracy theories? This is like the third person I've seen now in Big Eva, as we like to call them, bashing Christians for so-called conspiracy theories. And they never tell you exactly what those conspiracy theories are. Ed Stetzer did this. Joe Carter at the Gospel Coalition has done this recently. Now Russell Moore is doing it. So if you want your church open, you're a not because really what you ought to be doing is staying home and enjoying your online activities and just just hang on. You know, it's the new normal. Then he says at the end, even when we regather, we'll be changed. We'll know what it is to be kept apart. We'll know we are children of dust. We'll know we are so feeble and frail that something microscopic could in an instant take away from us our life and our loved ones and even our church services. But maybe that means that we will hug each other longer. How, or you could stand up now. Because there are churches and pastors across America who understand what's at stake here while you're sitting home commending churches and giving them a gold star for staying put and doing what the Democratic tyrants are ordering them to do. Meanwhile, similar venues are able to open and the churches are being targeted. And the head of the Religious Liberty Commission is sitting in his house lecturing you on how great it is that you can't get together. Does that sound to you like a man who loves the church? Or does that sound to you like somebody who is deliberately sitting it out? while your local pastors fight the battle. You know, doesn't this point out? Your local pastor is more important than any Big Eva church bureaucrat. We're going to take a break. We're going to hear from a great pastor when we come back. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. COVID-19 is creating a surge in unplanned pregnancies as American shelter in place. Meanwhile, preborn crisis lines are flooded and we have quadrupled our patients seeking abortions. Your help is needed now more than ever as clinics had to cancel spring fundraisers. Would you consider sponsoring an ultrasound to introduce moms to their preborn babies? When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. 
And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn is able to send $100,000 to clinics. If this goal is reached, you can help. Call 855-402-BABY now. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Once again, call 855-402-BABY or there's a banner to click at Channel. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, just recently, Brian Gibson, the senior pastor of his church, was targeted by local health officials for trying to offer a drive through Easter celebration for kids. And now he has announced he's opening up the doors of his four churches in Kentucky and Texas on Sunday, May 17th. He's also encouraging other pastors and churches to join him and be part of affirming religious freedom through a new online petition. It's called peaceablygather.com. We're going to hear more about it now from Pastor Brian Gibson. Pastor Gibson, and thank you so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on with you today. A real honor. Well, thank you. The honor is mine. Tell us a little bit, because I know you got into a kerfuffle of your own, and I know there have been a number of them around the country, but tell people a little bit about what happened when you tried to hold this Easter service. Yes, ma'am. It was a, it was a drive-through. Uh, it really was just a kid's Easter egg giveaway. We took all of our services online up front because we didn't understand how corona exactly would affect America. Uh, you know, the predictions were stark at, at the beginning. Some people were saying 5%, possible death loss, 4%. It got down to 1%. You know, it kept, it kept changing. Yes. Uh, but we were, we were going to be compassionate and caring. And, hey, if it's the Black Plague, I don't want to, to be the cause of any uh, remorse or death or anything like that. So we take it all online. Uh, but we watch as it didn't become exactly what it is. I know it's a real thing. I'm praying for the people affected. Uh, thank God that it didn't turn out the way it was predicted. So I'm right. so thankful for that and, and praying for people. Uh, but, but it isn't as bad as they said it was going to be. So, so uh, we decided, hey, we're, we're going to have this uh, drive-through kids' Easter service, and we'll give them eggs with candy in it. Uh, here's the way we handled it. Our, our team put together the Easter eggs and candy five days in advance to make sure it was sterile. Uh, every worker was socially distanced, wearing masks and gloves. And on the day of the drive through service, what happened is the health department called, said, you can't do that or we'll come and shut you down. Mm. Uh, you can't have it. Yeah. And so it's already advertised. You have kids coming. You know, our people are thinking about these kids that they don't have their friends around, right? Their schools have been shut down. Right. They're, they're hearing all this terrible information. And we were just trying to be a little light and a little help to families. But uh, the governor of Kentucky... Uh, Governor Bashir had started with such a tone that it began to trickle down through through my home state where I grew up and just really changed the tone. So so then my congregants are are the few of them that were there. The number was minimized because we were being, you know, we were being compliant. Uh, They start realizing that we can't pass out eggs. I realized it as well. Hmm. But right across our parking lot, the fast food places with teenagers manning the ship can pass out French fries. Yeah, right. right across the road, the, the liquor store is serving their patrons in the drive-thru yeah. capacity. Uh, and, the, and the coffee shops are pushing out lattes and breves. But the message was the church is not responsible enough 
to give a kid candy and an Easter egg in the name of Jesus. Exactly, exactly. Now, it's interesting because a couple of days ago, this judge had granted a temporary restraining order preventing Andy Bashir, the governor of Kentucky, from enforcing that order prohibiting in-person church services. So when you look to open up on Sunday, do you feel pretty good about it? Because also in Texas, where you have campuses, we're able to have church. I'm in Texas myself. We're able to have church again. So how are you looking forward to you know getting church going again this weekend? Yes, we're, we're super excited about that. Uh, you know, we actually planned to open before we, we'd announced to all of our people we were going back uh, really in defiance of the governor's orders because we thought it was unconstitutional. Right. Uh, and then Liberty Institute won that victory. They did. In Kentucky, and I'm thankful for them, thankful for, I believe, Mr. Byron. There was one other attorney there, and then Kelly Shackelford, who's the CEO. Sure. I'm thankful for their service across the nation. Um, yeah, we're excited about going back. Um, but we we're thankful for that, that uh, judgment the judge made, I think, is a great step towards religious liberty uh, across America. Uh, but, but people are excited, and uh, we're, we're asking other pastors to go to, to peaceablygather.com and to sign up and to come with us. But we're asking them to do it in a smart way, right? It's not about a mad dash into the church. It's about standing up for our constitutional freedoms. Sure, that's right. Um, so, so, yeah, we'll practice social distancing in the service. We'll have hand sanitizer. Uh, we'll have other things, cleaning functions at the bathroom continually as people come and go. We'll release the people uh, like you would not all at once, like a typical service, but aisle at a time, like a church or a wedding. Just trying to keep everybody safe, uh, but be constitutional, right? And, and yes. stand up for our religious liberties that so many people have laid down their lives for. Now, peaceablygather.com, as you mentioned, is your online petition. Are you encouraging pastors to go there from other states where they're not yet allowed to have in-person gatherings as well? Absolutely. I'm encouraging them to take a constitutional stand across America. Uh, after, after Bashir and, you know, set the tone for America, the health department made their, uh, you stopped my service. Uh, my response was, is I went back and said, hey, I'm going to pass out stuff anyway. Yeah. It's my constitutional right. right. So I, I went to the parking lot, organized a parking lot service. Everybody stayed in the car because we didn't know what we were dealing with yet, right? I, I'm, mm. I'm going to be very sane. But everything else was operating in the city. Yeah. Uh, you know, when there's, when there's 400 people, 500 people in the Kroger, Walmart, Costco, they're having a party over, you know, in Home Depot and Lowe's. And the church is the only person that can't play ball. Hmm. Yeah. What kind of message does that send? A bad one. Yeah, a really bad yeah. one. I mean, there, there was a church, you might have seen this on the news too. There was a church in Holly Springs, Mississippi, and they had a similar experience. They were having a, I think it was an Easter service, and the police came in. No, no, break it up, break it up. They headed down to the Walmart, and the cops kicked them out of Walmart. And they said, well, wait a minute. Everybody here in Walmart, you have a lot of people here who are not keeping six feet apart. They don't have masks on. This just proves our point. And then later on, they were vindicated. But that's the upside of all of this, I think, when you look at how churches have been treated differently than we've seen other businesses being treated. They've been declared non-essential when we all know how essential the church is. It is good, I think, to see how many times churches have prevailed when they've stood up. And that must give you some confidence confidence going into this peaceably gather movement as well. Absolutely. I, I believe this. I believe it's time for pastors and not just pastors, because this isn't just a, a Christian issue, yeah. right? I'm, I'm Christian committed to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but it's time for rabbis to stand up. 
It's time for uh, Muslim leaders to stand up. It's time for every other faith group, if they want a nation where they can freely choose what God they worship, right? It's time for them to step. Stand everybody, up. everybody. Now, now, it's everybody, right? It, it ought to be together. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a, like I said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I believe he's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I know this about him. Yep. I know that he is lamb, but he's also lion. Now, I believe this. Wisdom teaches us when to be the lamb, when to hold our peace, when to turn the other cheek, when to be quiet, right? But wisdom also teaches us when to be the lion, when to stand up, when to roar, when to proclaim, and when to show people what's coming. Right. And uh, I think it's a time I'm encouraging every leader to go to peaceablygather.com. It's time to be the lion. I love that. I love that because we, you know, it was exactly the same with us that we all said at the beginning, we don't want to spread any germs and, you know, the virus around and we don't want anybody to get sick or die. But after a while you say, are we overdoing it here? When you look at the death rate and when you look at the people who tend to die are the elderly and people with underlying health conditions and a huge, huge number of people actually recover from it. What are your thoughts on the fact that churches were considered non-essential? pretty much across the board when this first started. Do you think that that was, in many respects, a commentary by the state on the church? You guys don't matter? Absolutely. Uh, if we look at, at what the framers of the Constitution and the guys that put together our amendments, the Bill of Rights, uh, they absolutely believed that this nation was formed. First issue, first, first Amendment was religious freedom. Right. And it was that the government shall not establish a state religion, nor will it hinder any religion, right? Freedom of the press is there. Freedom to peaceably assemble is there. Uh, freedom to have different, different points of view. So it's, it's all in there. And uh, yeah, whenever they said everybody else can do this, but church is not essential. These are things that aren't even covered. Uh, I mean, they all have the people of those entities all have the same rights. I'm not saying that. But would they, the founding fathers put a special, a special blessing on that in the Constitution. They did. And saw it as fundamental for the America that was being built. And that's the reason America is blessed the way it's blessed. Now, now the messaging uh, says you guys don't matter. We'll put you where we want to. Uh, that no longer the Constitution that we swore to uphold and defend matters. You do what we say. And so I think if some of the governors would have taken a different approach, there are a few states that governors, instead of uh, mandating and abusing their power and overreaching, they strongly urge their citizens to do these things, and they've had similar or better results. Yes, right. Because uh, it's something about honoring people, right, that makes them want to cooperate with you. Right. We teach at our church all the time. We say, we tell our kids, and you make things rhyme so kids will remember, <laughs> uh, honor up, honor down, honor all the way around. Hmm. Honor those that, that are in authority over you, honor your peers, and honor those you get the, the chance to lead in life. Yeah. And uh, whenever the governors and, and different, different municipalities, different, different political uh, leaders in every area, whenever they started to dishonor the religious community in America, it sent a strong message. And I think the tide is turning now. 
people are getting tired of that. Oh, yeah. I, and I'm really encouraged to see it because as the pastors lead, like the way you are leading, I think that gives more courage to Christian laymen because they say, well, you're right, pastor. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to know when to act like lambs and when to act like lions. And if we are willing to discard our religious freedom, and as you mentioned in the First Amendment, we also have that right to peaceably assemble. If we don't fight for those freedoms, we're not only going to lose those for ourselves, our children will eventually lose those rights. And it, it really is incumbent upon us to remember as Americans, God has given us these freedoms and we need to maintain the fight. So I'd encourage people, go over to peaceablygather.com, check out the online petition and open on up. Pastor Brian Gibson with us. Thank you so much, Pastor Gibson. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be with you today. Thank you. God bless. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Why did Paul call himself the chief of sinners? Well, he outlined it in 1 Corinthians 15.9 when he said, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And yet he goes on to say, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. It was Paul's understanding of how bad he was that made the gospel such good news that the grace of God in Jesus Christ was meant for even the worst of sinners. But what about us? Do we truly understand how bad we are or do we fall into the world's way of thinking that we're just basically good people? We're going to talk about this today with author and radio host Brand Hansen. He's out with a book about it called The Truth About Us, The Very Good News About How Very Bad We Are. Brant, well, Welcome. Great to have you here. Thank you. Great to talk to you, too. Yeah. To what extent have people bought into the lie, do you think, that, that we're, we're just basically good people? Big time. And I think what's weird is for Christians to do that, because like you said, there's no precedent for that. I mean, no. Jesus said nobody's good at all. And we still do it. We're still like, oh, yeah. I mean, he's saying we're not all as good compared to him. But that's not what he's saying. He doesn't want us comparing each other to each, each, each other at all. We don't want us comparing ourselves to that other person, but we do it all the time. The fascinating thing to me, what I think you'll get a kick out of, what I wrote about in this book, is all these modern cognitive psychologists that have basically come to the same conclusion that we're all so beset with biases that we almost can't see straight and we're delusional about our own goodness, all of us. Yeah. And I find that amazing that they're essentially agreeing with Jesus 2,000 years later. It's so funny. Yeah, you think of Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He doesn't make an exception for Christians. And it, it kind of tears Christianity apart if you buy into that lie, because why would you need a savior if you're a good person? Just work your way to heaven the way that the, the paganism says that you can. It's not even a, the same religion anymore. Totally. And also, how would you know you're good? I mean, who's, who's actually the judge there? You've got Jesus himself saying, no one's good. Yes. But we're saying, no, nah, I am. <laughs> like, so 
there's a disagreement. So that's, that's a fundamental problem if we perceive ourselves as really good people. What I was trying to say, though, in the book is it's not just like, hey, you ought to feel guilty. It's more saying, look, the reason people virtue signal so much, and we can see this in our, our culture, the less Christian it gets, the more self-righteous it seems to be getting hmm. with cancel culture and call-out culture and, uh, again, all the virtue signaling on social media. People are very self-righteous by nature. Yep. Wouldn't it be nice to be the people that are like, you know what? I gave up that game. Hmm. I'm not trying to prove my goodness to anybody. I'm not better than anybody else. I know that. Jesus made it clear. I just need to be a blessing to people. It's it's actually a way to be more childlike and stop with the pressure and the posing that so, so many of us just do naturally. Yeah, you're right about that. But it's hard. Humility is a difficult thing for any sinner, any person who's ever lived. Humility is not a natural thing. We're, we're very prone to wanting to be proud of ourselves and justifying what we do and justifying how we are. And this is the problem. Talk a little bit about this, if you would, Brant. Flesh this out a bit. The idea that we do not see ourselves the way we actually are in many, many instances. Oh, totally. Well... What they're thinking, what they, it's so interesting because they study these cognitive biases. There's, there's a bias, like, essentially it's first data bias. If I, if I hear an argument and I'm like, oh, okay, I believe that, it'll take a tremendous amount of evidence to supplant that. Hmm. Like, the first thing I become aware of is often the thing that just gets entrenched. There's other biases where if we say something, it's called attitude polarization effect. That if I say a position out loud, it's going to be very difficult for me to move off it because I said it out loud. Right. Like as soon as I hear me take a position, but it's wild because you can see this happen on social media, for instance, how no one wins a social media argument. Right. (laughs) No one suddenly is like, you know what? The information you've given me is convincing. Thank you. Uh, I have switched my position. It never happens because people are taking public positions, it's very difficult for us to back off what we're saying. So this becomes a problem for all of us. It has its own momentum. And one other thing real quick about this, we can actually be addicted to being right. Hmm. I mean, you can be addicted physically to anything that gives you dopamine, a hit of dopamine in your brain, but they have shown repeatedly that being proved right gives us a dopamine hit. Right. Yep. We like it. So if we're scrolling and we see something that backs up what we already thought, we feel a self-righteous rush. Hmm. And you can see how people, why we do what we do in terms of putting ourselves in silos and whatnot. We just love being right. And if somebody says something that we already agree with slightly differently, we'll applaud. Like, way to go. Like, that's, just, that's because it gives us a little bit of a rush. That's what we're up against in terms of us being self-righteous. That's what Jesus is calling out. It's like, you've got to break this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and something you say in the book is our belief in our goodness is our biggest self-delusion. So you would put that at the top of the charts then in terms yep. of our wrong beliefs, believing that you're basically good. That That's the biggest problem of all. Isn't that going all the way back to the garden and the serpent, the lie of the serpent? It, it totally is. And what's fascinating about this again is these people who are not necessarily believers, these cognitive psychologists are saying that is the truth about our biggest delusion. We're all deluded about certain things. Like if you, there's a classic test. If you ask people, are you a good driver? Are you better than average? <laughs> like 85% say, yes, I'm better than average. Yeah. It's the Lake Wobegon effect. It's just, that's how we perceive ourselves. But the biggest delusion of all is not driving. They say it's morality. Hmm. If you ask people, are you a good person? Are you kind of a better person than average? 90 plus percent 
we're all good people. Goodness, wow. And it doesn't matter what we've done. We will rationalize it to make it good in our heads. We <laughs> so desperately want to be righteous in our, on our own scales that we will rewrite reality in real time to make it okay. Do you think we're amazingly good at that? Yeah, we are. Do you think part of the reason that our culture tends to do that is because we've fallen into this postmodern thinking in which you create your own truth, so therefore you can create the own truth about yourself? In other words, sure, I did something lousy to you yesterday, but my heart was in a good place. I hear people talking mm-hmm. like that all the time, and I, I always think to myself, if your heart were in a good place, you wouldn't have done that nasty thing you did yesterday. The heart and your actions are inextricably linked. So wh- where right. have we fallen apart on that? <laughs> whole thing. <laughs> you know what? It's so funny because people will say, well, that's just, you know, even, even if I apologize, I do a faux apology, you know, like a fake apology. A lot of times like, that just wasn't me when I did that. Oh like, yeah. I love that one. Look, look like you. <laughs> Very similar to you. That's like, not who I am. <laughs> that's yeah, another one. Like, no, exactly. That's, well, I understand that. I don't think the reason we do that is because we're in a post-Christian Society, um, I think that's. I think post-Christian society gives us different rationalizations to offer, <laughs> but I think we do it because we're human. Yeah, yeah. And it's intensely human to say, "Well, at least I'm not like that other person." I mean, Jesus called out a Pharisee for doing that. Sure. This is what we all do. It's so easy. I've had people take this book and want to hit their political enemies with it. I'm like, no, this is about us. <laughs> Yes. Like, we've got this problem, and Jesus is acting like it's a crisis, like we're addicted to our own self-righteousness. He keeps calling it out, and we keep going, yeah, you're right about these other people. They're like, no, 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 me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's the tough thing is going, how can I be more aware of this so that I can make better decisions? I'm not so biased towards myself all the time. I can have a lighter load. It's not all about me being a good person. Like. When do I get to that point? I could just start trying to be a blessing to other people. Well, right. And and it sometimes is hard to say that to Christians because we tend to think, even though we might theologically reject it, we tend to think now that I'm a Christian, I am better because now I believe in mm-hmm. Jesus and now I can obey him freely. But that does sometimes translate into self-righteousness. And yet Paul was the one who talked in Romans chapter seven about the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. That's part and parcel of the Christian life. You're going to continue to sin even after you're a believer. So getting a handle on that truth might be good for us as well. Totally. And you can see Jesus telling story after story to try to pop that balloon to say, it's not about, he's never going the good people against the bad people. He's never doing that, but he is talking about the humble and the proud. Yes. Yes. And it can be really good, proud people. They do not fare well in his presence. Proud people are in for a big fall, and the humble he lifts up, and God will exalt them. But it actually says God will resist the proud. He sure does. Actively resist them. Yeah, you're right about that. We're going to take a very brief pause. Brand Hansen with us. The Truth About Us is the name of his book, and we'll come right back on Janet Mefford today.
Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. The COVID-19 virus is having a terrible impact for the most vulnerable among us, the unborn. This past week, a woman shared she feared being pregnant with so much going on in the world. The abortionist gave her an RU46 pill to terminate her pregnancy. Our Preborn Center was there for her, however, reversed the abortion pill and saved her baby. Our crisis line is flooded with women with similar stories. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn will be able to send 100 dollars to clinics if this goal is reached. And you can help. Call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Many people in developing nations have no access to desperately needed medical care. That's why Mercy Ships brings volunteers aboard our hospital ship, the Africa Mercy, to give the world's forgotten poor the free medical care they need. We have an immediate need for registered nurses, especially with a pediatric specialty. As a volunteer nurse, you won't just give life-altering health care, you'll receive so much in return. It's an amazingly rewarding experience. You'll give hope and make a difference in the lives of those who have virtually no access to medical aid. It's such a fantastic thing to do. Everybody who I've met on this ship either wants to come back and do it again or they're already here for the second, third, or tenth time. So what are you waiting for? Show mercy to someone today. I would say go for it. Get more information and learn how to apply by visiting mercyships.org forward slash nurses. That's mercyships.org forward slash nurses. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. Brant Hansen is here, author and radio host. The Truth About Us is the name of his new book, The Very Good News About How Very Bad We Are. And you were making a great point, Brant, before we went to that break about the fact that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and that when we're talking about how we view ourselves as good people it, it, it's bad enough when we do it just on a human level but as Christians it's even worse when we're self-righteous and you had talked about the parable that Jesus told of the publican and the Pharisee and that's a perfect example can you talk a little bit about battling self-righteousness because you get into some detail about that in your book and I think a lot of us myself included really need this advice because it's important for us to hear it yeah, I feel like we are like addicts, and that's how Jesus is teaching us, and he's, he's calling it out over and over, like he's doing an intervention on us, and it just goes out you know, through, through one ear and out the other if it's still all about me and my goodness. I think it's good to realize this is a human thing. I mean, Jonathan Haidt at NYU, I quote him a lot in the book, he, he's a self-described atheist, and he said that humans are self-righteous machines. It's our default setting. Hmm. Like there's something deeply wrong with us that makes us this way. It's so wild how these people who study humans go, Jesus is right. <laughs> We've got this major self-right. I think becoming aware of this problem, aware of all, again, some of the biases that I try to write about in the book, I try to make it entertaining, but just the way we humans behave, all of us, about how right we are, how we convince ourselves, I think it's really healthy to become aware of that. And I think the other thing is, too, even if somebody's wrong, truly, deeply wrong, like I have convictions about, I'm, I'm very pro-life, for instance, I may think somebody who's, who's got a different position is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. However, 
when it comes to thinking that I'm a better person than them, I think Jesus never lets us get away with that. Hmm. It's always, wait a second, do you realize what God has forgiven me from yep. and right. for? Right, right. Like, it always returns to that. And it doesn't, it's not relativism. It's not saying there is no such thing as right and wrong or we shouldn't work for justice and act for, for mercy, that sort of stuff. But it is about this idea that I'm a good person. He absolutely obliterates it. The last thought on that, I think Jesus is the smartest teacher of all time. Mm -hmm. I think he knows us because he created us. And if he's telling us, live humbly, you're not a good person, he's doing it because he knows this is going to give us a better life. Hmm. I, I think we'll be more childlike. We'll be more at ease once we get over this whole trip and we can laugh more and be more lighthearted. It's actually a relief to just stop with the whole the whole thing and just trust God with this. Yeah, get rid of that pretense. You know what I, I was also thinking about when you were saying that was Jesus' words in Luke seventeen ten, where he said, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. So I, the reason I love that is because he's, he's giving us a dose of cold water saying, even uh-huh. if you obey every single command that the Lord has given to you, you obey God perfectly. Even if you were perfect in the human sense, you're still an unworthy servant. It just brings yep. you back to earth, doesn't it? There's no yep. room for pride if you're a Christian. There just is no room no. at all. No, we're lucky to be in the party. How dare we turn to somebody else who's there? How'd you get in here? Right. No, 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 no. Right. How did you get in here? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. And it's so funny because Jesus is hammering away at this. And we still miss it and skip on to the next part. Like, do you realize it's aimed at us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a, a wonderful thing to humble ourselves. One thing that... that that I like that Height said, I was just quoting him, the guy from NYU, but he talks about how we are way less rational than we think we are. Hmm, true. We humans, we think that we have these ideals and these ideas and we follow our convictions and then we act on them and that's because we're rational. Hmm. He's like, no, we're emotional and intuitive and we use our rationality to justify whatever it was we wanted anyway. <laughs> that's what we use our smarts for. Oh boy. And there's study after study, and I mentioned this in the book, where smart people are actually in particular peril of being wrong <laughs> because they're especially adept at rationalizing horrible things. Oh, boy. Wow. That's really serious. That That's true, though. I mean, I can think of some examples of that. So sure. mit- mitigating self-righteousness, though, is a tricky thing for everybody. One of the things, and I think you mentioned this earlier, is servanthood. Give us some ideas here on how servanthood can help us in the areas of being too self-righteous. Well, I think uh, as a starter, I hope this is a good answer for the question, but as a starter, rather than thinking servanthood, like go work at a soup soup kitchen, although that's wonderful, um, praying for our enemies and blessing people who curse us (laughs) is so huge because it forces us to confront ourselves and, and... why we would need to do something like that. Yeah. You can't casually do that. And bless means to add value to somebody's life. So imagine somebody who's your political enemy, somebody you just cannot stand, all of that stuff, who hates you, wants to do you ill will, curses you. They want to subtract value from your life. And then you pray that God would help them be successful, that he would give them everything they need, that they would they would they would flourish in life, that alone 
forces me out of myself. I would say my self-righteous position because I can't do that as a self-righteous person. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the things Jesus is saying, like he's doing it for our own good. He knows how we work and this is what's actually going to free us um, from self-righteousness. So serving people absolutely because it forces us back into a, a role that's, that is more in line with reality about who we are. Yeah, that is a difficult thing to do. You know, when you're blessing your enemy, it's hard to be full of yourself, that's for sure. The hardest. Yeah, it is the hardest. It is the hardest. You know, I was thinking some of the ways that we can remind ourselves how bad we are, not so we can wear a hair shirt and and be ridiculous, Mm but it sometimes is the case that when I read what the commandments are, the Ten Commandments, for example, reading through the Ten Commandments really kind of helps you get over this idea that you're a good person. I mean, do you do things like that where you will just go to certain sections of Scripture and that will really help remind you, yeah, you really are a sinner. You really still need a Savior. And isn't God wonderful for having sent Jesus for you? That you end end with the gospel, but you begin with the law, the way you know that the yeah. Bible says. Yeah, I think so. The tricky thing about the law, though, too, I can look at that and go, well, okay, but at least I, at least I believe in these things. There are people out there that don't even believe in these things, yeah. or I, at least I kept six of them. <laughs> or, that won't like, help. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I skipped the Sabbath one, but by golly, I'm a good husband. Oh, man. You know how we can do that. What I love is here's Jesus on the cross. And if, in case we didn't get that point all the way up to that, as many times as he called us out on our supposed goodness, but the dude next to him has nothing to offer, mm. no spiritual resume whatsoever. And he's the one, all he does is humble himself and acknowledge that Jesus is who he is. Mm-hmm. That's it. Humbles himself. Mm-hmm. And Jesus turns to him. He's the only guy in the Bible who hears the words, today you'll be with me in paradise. Right. Nobody else hears that. This guy had nothing. And so, to me, I love that. Like, that God would, would finish that way to make it that obvious. And I think it's such a relief that we actually can spiritually grow and maybe get morally better. It's not about the scorecard, but once we release this constant grinding and low-level guilt that we've got trying to prove that we're the best person around or we're better than that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's refreshing when you think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross didn't really need the law. I mean, here he was hanging on a cross for what he did. He knew he was in trouble, but he had that simple uh-huh. faith in Jesus. Hey, you really are the king of the Jews. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I mean, there, there's something really simple about that. And childlike, which is something else you talk about when Jesus says, unless you are converted and become like children, become like this child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you speak to that just briefly? Because that's important. Yeah, I think kids like not being in charge of the world. Mm-hmm. I think there's something beautiful about it. I tell a story about my daughter when I was driving her someplace, but she didn't know where she was going. And we made a bunch of stops and it was a big hassle. And finally we lived in Houston at the time. Finally, she was like, Hey dad, she's in the back seat, buckled in in her little seat. Where, where are we going? This is after like 45 minutes of driving. And I was pulled over by the police for speeding. <laughs> <laughs> like, so there's lights. There's all this poor. I realized I never told you. And I, I looked at her through the rearview mirror, and I'm like, oh, we're going to the rodeo. You like horses. Like, all right, thanks. And I thought she didn't panic that whole time hmm. because she knew who was driving and that I loved her. She didn't have to be worried all the time. Like, 
if I know God will let me into the party based on his goodness and kindness, I don't have to be chafing all the time. Yep. I will grow up. Yep. But that'll be him working through me. Yes, that's right. I, I will become more like him, but that'll be him working through me. Perfect. Yep, you're right. Brant, we got to go. But Brant Hansen, the name of the book is The Truth About Us, the very good news about how very bad we are. Thanks so much, Brant, for being here. And thank you for being with us on Janet Meffer today. We'll see you next time. God bless. 